All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Gents Talk. Um, we're very excited about this one. Uh, we've been trying to, to get this special guest for some time. <laughs> Hard to nail down when you're such a busy person. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a wild time the past few weeks, but uh, yeah, I happy bet. to be here. Justin it's Wu joins Justin us. Wu. Thank you. Thank Justin you Wu much. joins us in the studio here at Startwell, uh, beautiful Toronto. Uh, quick shout out to our sponsors, Belova, for, for making this happen. But um, Justin, you were born and now you're here and a lot has happened in between. What's That's going right. on? What's going on in your life right now? Right now, uh, I am fortunate to be in a position where I think I'm living the dream. Uh, when I was born and raised in Toronto, uh, one of the aspirations was to get into film and television. It was very important to me because, uh, telling a bit about my story, uh, I had identity issues growing up. Uh, my parents were immigrants from, from China who immigrated to Hong Kong and then had to seek better opportunity and they eventually moved to Toronto, to, uh, to Canada. And un while I was growing up, I, my parents didn't have the best education. And they really tried to encourage me to learn about their culture, learn about their values. And I was sort of the product of, you know, the Eastern values being uh, taught at, at home, while at the same time getting a lot of the Western values uh, that are taught at school. So I really had a hard time finding my place in society. And film and television uh, certainly helped me by shedding light on a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different points of view. And I think that certainly helped me uh, find my place in, in, in society and the world and because of how not only cathartic, therapeutic, and educational it was, uh, I decided very early on that that was where I wanted to go. But it was certainly an impossibility at the time uh, growing up in rural Scarborough, uh, mostly a lot of farmland around, that uh, what can this Asian boy, how can this one Asian boy even make it in Hollywood? And so it was always in the back burner. I was never really uh, thinking about it too deeply or too hard. But uh, my journey has led me here. Somehow I made it uh, through a lot of hard work, determination, uh, passion, and uh, and luck, and people who supported me along the way. So it's amazing. Did you? So when you were growing up, obviously for for immigrant families, this line of work is not typically the thing that they go. Yes, let's do this. We're all in. Did you find initially that there was some pushback when you said, you know what, the traditional careers are not for me? Absolutely. Actually, my story is kind of amusing and a bit twisted in a way. <laughs> uh, when I knew I wanted to pursue the arts, I knew already by in, in high school. Uh, I had a pretty difficult childhood. Uh, I think uh, being an introvert at the time, I feel like I've become an extrovert over time that uh, I found... Art was a, a powerful way for me to express myself, and I couldn't do so verbally, uh, at least among, at least to my parents, or to my friends and family who just didn't understand why I had this split mentality of wanting to become an artist. So I kind of suppressed that for 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 many years of my life. And when I pursued university, it was actually thanks to uh, a floor mate of mine. His name's Gabe Kokus. When I was at Queen's University who was an art major, and he really introduced to me uh, the meaning of art uh, and, and different ways of expressing oneself and kind of the liberation that one can achieve by, by, by sheer art of creation. And 
while I was able to 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 go through that process and learn from him, I knew at that point I wanted to pursue it, but I had to do it uh, behind my parents' back. So at the time, I was studying biology, following my father's footsteps of eventually becoming a doctor. And the, the, so the story goes, even though I was already in pre-med, I was in second year, third year, applying to the MCATs and, you know, being the A student, uh, I uh, I had to I had to call it quits at some point. Uh, I I was already applying to med school, and I was so fearful of actually getting in. That was actually the weird thing, because the moment you do get in, it's really hard for you to to tell your parents no. I think this is the time for me to back out. Uh, and art was always in the in the background was was brewing, but I never knew how it'd be possible. So I need to buy myself more time. And uh, at my last year of biology already ready to apply for med school, I tore up the application for my parents and I had to make a, a, an extreme pivot. I had secretly applied to business school uh, to, to Western, to the Richard Ivory School of Business. And fortunately, it was I, I put all my eggs in one basket. I was coping, banking that this would work. And unfortunately, did. I made a plea to the dean. I was like, oh, you know, just imagine what kind of student you'd get, what kind of alumni you'd get, because... I promise you, I will be very unusual. I'd be an unusual graduate who will pursue the arts, but I need some support through uh, entrepreneurship and business acumen. So I was able to graduate from Queens, told my parents I got accepted into business school, and I bought myself more time. So I tr finished at Queens, moved to Western, University of Western Ontario, and that's when I did you know, all the feasibility studies. And that's what business school teaches you, how it's possible for you to achieve certain things. And sure enough, my parents were correct. Art photography or photography or the arts is practically impossible. When you look at the market at the time, when you look at the lack of inclusion and opportunities, especially in Canada, I, I knew that it'd be impossible, but I didn't, I was relentless. I pursued it anyway. And among, within the artistic world, there was one field of photography that I knew was possible because it had regular clients, it had seasonality, and that was the fashion world. So fast forward a few years while I was in business school, I took all the time I could to pursue it. And even while I was in school, I went to New York, met with some agencies. Uh, I started the style section of the, uh, of the campus paper, the Western Gazette, was a photo editor at first, then became a... Uh, I guess a style editor, and I used that as my portfolio and base. And fortunately, I got discovered. Um, and the advice I got while I was in New York was, you have to, you have to make it abroad. You have to go to Paris because at that one point in time, there was a certain notion. This is way before uh, social media was was as present as it is, and work could not have been shared so easily. Yes, there were things like Flickr, GeoCities, but <laughs> like, that was... <laughs> you just unlocked oh, a memory. <laughs> oh, that was... A, and um, it was it really was really impossible to kind of share your work and, and get it to the right people. So uh, on my last year of business school, I took an exchange program. I was the last, you know, the last segment uh, of applicants to apply, and I applied to Paris because that was, to me, the epicenter of, of fashion at the time. And when I made it in Paris, fortunately, again, there was another kind of a strike of good luck. Um, as we know, France has a lot of strikes. There was one major strike that occurred as I arrived in Paris, and that actually 
uh, cut a lot of our studies in, in school. I was at it was at HEC Paris, and we business school. Uh, and I had I used that time wisely. And in that one month and a half when we didn't have school, I w- managed to meet with agencies. I did a lot of cold calls. I walked up to agencies and I just said, I pleaded, like, give me a chance. I really, really want to pursue this. Fortunately, one individual saw the potential of my work and gave me my opportunity. All the while, so to answer your question, my parents never knew of any of this. They really thought that I was going to pursue uh, the business world. But the story gets even crazier. Um, so even while I was there and they had no clue I was doing this, my visa was expiring. I was only one semester of business school. I'm like, oh no, I haven't quite made it yet. I don't really have a way to extend my visa. So I asked around. I actually went and did a, an internship at a, at a fashion house uh, using my business, uh, doing marketing and strategy. And that bought me a few extra months, but I realized, no, this is this is not going to cut it. So I applied to a master's program in Paris with the same quite prestigious school at HUC Paris. And I extended it by another two and a half years. And I took a sabbatical. Fortunately, in that one time, uh, my parents were still thinking, oh, he's going to become this great <laughs> businessman. He's going to come back as like a banker or some kind of like consultant. But little did they realize that uh, I was making all the inroads and I found the opportunity by the second year of my master's and eventually I was able to to quit. But uh, when I when I quit that the, the master's, that was when my parents realized something was off. They were like, why are you so close to graduation? Why aren't you just not finishing? And it was that one moment when I had uh, a big client and I was signed to an agency which gave me the visa, and that was when I was able to tell my parents, I've made it, I'm succeeding, and this is what I want to pursue. They flew to Paris as as fast as possible, and they questioned me, they challenged me, but uh, the commitment was already made, and it had happened. Wow. They so flew to Paris to, <laughs> to interrogate to Paris. you. They interrogated the me. They, they, were, they were questioning how I was able to pull this off, and how they had really had no clue. They thought that uh, photography and all the work I was doing, maybe I was sharing about on Facebook at the time, was just a hobby. Mm. They didn't, it didn't clue in that I was actually pursuing this seriously as a career. And I was, uh, again, through a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifices uh, and investment, uh, it worked out. Relentless. It was relentless, yeah. yeah. I think... Um, Another sad part of the story is that I think part of why I made that choice and I was able to do so is because I also wanted to run away. Um, a lot of my identity issues kind of bubbled to the surface at that point. I, I realized uh, re- relatively late in life that uh, I was gay and it was a challenge for me to reveal it to my parents. And I think that was always brewing the background. And it was only during university when I fully understood that I was. And I think that was a secondary sort of subtext of the story was that part of my motivation to even go abroad was perhaps to find liberation and find a place where I could be accepted. And the artistic world was very accepting at the time. So I think there were many, many different reasons why uh, I was attracted to to that community and why I wanted to pursue the arts. Did you find that your parents, when you finally had that conversation with them, how was, if I may ask, what was their reception to that? Because you, you you mentioned that to 
they flew to Paris to interrogate you about your school decisions. Your life decision seems like a much bigger consideration. How was that? It, it all kind of compounded, and it all just blew up in my face. Uh, I knew it was going to happen at some point. Uh, actually, it was it was okay um, to a certain degree. Uh, my dad, who was a doctor, um, one of the very first Asian doctors to to graduate uh, from U of T, wow. um, despite all. Uh, he was actually one of the pioneers and one of the doctors who chose to work in the inner city, as I discovered many years later, uh, during the 1980s, uh, who, who dealt with the AIDS uh, epidemic. And, and, and so when he dealt with gay people all his life as patients, I think by the time I, he discovered that I was, and parents all generally know, uh, he was very accepting and he never challenged me. He gave me the room to come out when I felt it was right. So it wasn't so bad on his side. It was more on my mother's side who was quite, is quite religious and, and she had a harder time understanding it. Of course, with the Asian culture, there's a lot of stigma that's, that's also attached to it, especially, you know, the family legacy that's, uh, that's associated with it. And one other interesting uh, cultural component is that, I am the son of the eldest son. So my dad was the eldest son of his family line, and I'm supposed to carry on the family name. So I had that extra burden and responsibility that I was fully aware of when I was growing up that uh, I would have to, I'm supposed to maintain the family name and have offspring. And Do you still carry that burden? It sounds like a burden. It is a burden, but I think, uh, fortunately, my cousins and myself, we openly had a discussion that we honestly don't care. I think Mm. so long uh, we're happy, so long we're able to support each other and live a fulfilled life. That's all that really matters. We don't have that old school hierarchy that uh, was ingrained upon us uh, for so many years. Amazing. And you're... Are they a lot more supportive now in both both aspects? Unfortunately, my dad uh, passed not too long ago. Sorry and actually, that. that's one of the reasons why uh, I moved back. So uh, for those who aren't aware of my story, I lived 10 years in Paris. And of those 10 years, half of those years was between Paris and New York and then uh, a few years in L.A. So I was really gone for, for quite a long time. And the, the impetus to move back to Toronto was actually my dad's diagnosis, uh, terminal cancer. And when I came back, uh, the, the beauty of it actually was, is that despite how tragic the situation is, we were able to have more time than expected. He was only given a, a few weeks, but end up he had more than a year and a half. And that to me was uh, a dream come true because with that time, we had so much to un- we had we had we had the time to unpack it all and we had un- time to to resolve a lot of our differences some differences couldn't be resolved but we found an, a mutual understanding and i think that was both meaningful to myself and my father but also with my mother who was able to be present during all that and i think we are now closer than ever and again as as tragic as these events may be uh, I sort of, I certainly see the light in that, and even my dad on his on his last days had told me that maybe this was actually the blessing that he'd hoped for. Because although his life was cut short, had we had this incident not occurred, maybe we we would have never bonded uh, as well as we did on his la- 
all the way to his last days. And we really enjoyed each other's company for months. And I don't think we, we ever had that level of relationship um, had, had that not happened. Wow, that's incredible. So you come back and then where's photography and film? Where's, where's that part of your life when you're back in Toronto? So I was uh, very fortunate that I think a lot of the years of experience that I had accumulated um, doing commercial photography, commercial film, directing TV commercials, and then all that narrative work in, in film, actually uh, I was able to bring back to Canada and uh, I'm bringing back home. I thought it would be very difficult for me to integrate back into Canada. You know, uh, so much of the way we were brought up and I believe this is incorrect, but I can understand why, is that a lot of people here, a lot of artists here, feel that to succeed, you have to leave and go to the States or go to a bigger market. Now, I am a product of that. I do agree, and I do recognize my place of privilege that I did and managed to achieve that. But that's not to say that there's not so much more to contribute coming to Canada. And I was so motivated when... uh, the moment I landed, brands had reached out to me, uh, publications had reached out to me, all you know, inquiring to see whether I would be willing to to work for them on a much reduced ba- um, in terms of like my rates because simply you know uh, the way that our, our 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 work is and how it's valued is down to the size of the market, right? Mm-hmm. So, but the fact that I was uh, greeted with open arms by so many different people was uh, was very rewarding and, and, and very heartfelt. So when I began uh, really quickly after my dad passed and started to kind of begin work again, I was so motivated and so encouraged by the simple idea that I'm now able to take all those years of experience to help elevate a lot of the local talents, a lot of lo- the local artists and brands and creators, and hopefully bring that into the international stage. And I think that's become my next chapter in life is to, is to be able to do that. And, and that's, on, on, on the, that's the commercial side of things. On the film and TV side, I maybe it was thanks to my dad that maybe give it, give it a little nudge after he passed, but uh, I was really unfortunate that he was un- unable to see me actually break into, into film and TV. But uh, soon after he passed, when the pandemic was starting to pick up uh, in 2020, I got the call to to make my directorial debut on television uh, on Kim's Convenience, which was a show that my mother and myself and my father we we watched together. It was a it was a bonding moment, especially in those years. That especially during the time when I came back to Canada and we had that that period uh, of time to 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 rebuild and foster our, our relationship. And it was a dream come true. It was a show I really wanted to be part of. It uh, was it was a pioneer at its time, and I think it really is a testament to the leadership of the CBC, who was able to grant, you know, the funding for a show like that to be made on a national level, and and that really p- kicked off my career. I got uh, very very pleased to be nominated by the Directors Guild for that episode for my episode for my my first episode which is it's incredible and uh, according to the CBC uh, they they must have fact checked this I am the youngest director the Kim's Convenience ever had so that was like a congratulations another beautiful moment when I realized not only was this a proud show talking about Canadians it's set in Toronto 
about a real place uh, and this beautiful family, but I was able to to, con- to contribute to it. And that, again, really uh, propelled my career forward and reminds me of why I'm so proud to be Canadian and why I've committed to to remain here. So even if work were to take me down the road months and years from now, uh, Toronto will always be home and I'm settled here. That's incredible. It, it, it's incredible to hear how your your passions and the stories you want to tell have so perfectly aligned with your career goals. There's not a lot of people that have that ability to, to say that and it seems like it's just one step after the other. You're, you're, you're being put in a position where you can both succeed with your career, but at the same time, you're talking, you're touching on the very subjects that matter to you. Now, there was a time where you and I saw each other at an event and we were talking about some of the work that you've been doing with the UN. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Because I think that was incredible stuff. Sure. Um, I think it's all, it all kind of was founded on how my father and my mother uh, had raised me. Um, Again, they were uh, of a Christian, was it was a Christian household. Uh, my dad did a lot of humanitarian work, as I told you about how he made an active choice to work in the inner city when he built his practice. And he could have left and done a cushy job being a family physician somewhere else. But he, even though I was raised in Scarborough, he actually came all the way down uh, and worked around Moss Park. And that was a, that was a, a conscious decision. And he felt that uh, Canada had given him so much the opportunity that he, it was his responsibility to find his way to help out new immigrants uh, and, and marginalized individuals to, to have a healthy life. Now, that's on my dad's side. Um, actually, not only that, he was also the founding, one of the founding members of a company called the Living Water Counseling Center. And it was a not-for-profit uh, company or organization that's sole purpose was to help integrate new immigrants into society and when i saw him do that he was also the choir conductor of a local church um and i saw my mother volunteer uh on a regular basis all those you know that repetition of and and fulfillment that i saw my parents get for, for giving back uh kind of informed me and it really made me believe the same thing so uh Years later, now that I came back to Toronto, and actually even during my entire career, I've always had this element of myself to to use the talents that I have to give back. And it, be it photography and business and film, I was able to use my skills. And I've always been a, a, an advocate. Uh, I really believe in the institution of the UN. I know that there are it has its reputation and you know heavy bureaucracy. But I do feel that it is the the international symbol for peace and stability for the planet. Now, whether it succeeds or not, we need an institution like that to at least communicate. And I really feel that uh, for any problem to be solved, the first step is to open a dialogue, be able to present uh, an issue, communicate the issue, have a dialogue, and hopefully find a solution together. Now, that's always the first step. So I had... Uh, collaborated with uh, a friend of mine, uh, a colleague. His name is Todd Krim, who was a was a lawyer and eventually moved into his into charity work. Uh, I we we just sat down over a coffee. It was actually really just one coffee in the rooftop in L.A. 
and we just brainstorm ideas of how we could use his skills, his networking, his network, uh, and combine it with my talents and, uh, and ideation and execution to come up with a meaningful uh, project where we can actually do good. And this is a completely pro bono, of course. And that was this idea of supporting the UN uh, uh, on the year that it had its first climate summit. This was in 2019. And the ambition was to shed light and find and offer real-world solutions uh, to the average person to find simple ways that we can all curb climate change. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like radical things like never flying ever again or never driving a car, but simple acts that we can all do. And when I presented this idea of you know, using um, the voice of many uh, talents, many influential talents around the world to have them speak up on these things, people that are privileged, I think uh, was, a, was a really powerful tool. And I'm proud to say that we broke the record at the UN for uh, the most engaged campaign the UN Environment Program has ever had in its history. And uh, not only that, we won uh, a U.S. Power, uh, um, Power of Purpose Award for that. And it only showed and only reminded me of how, how, important, uh, and of how important it is for me to continue doing that work. So I don't do it for the awards. I really do it just to kind of give back. But that validation was reminding me of how, how much I still need to continue doing that work and how meaningful it really is. And we had the, the world's best talent participate. And actually, that, that to me was actually, I think, one of the most surprising uh, aspects was when we started uh, working with you know talents like Rain Wilson from The Office. Mm. That uh, one beautiful moment led to another. He told his friend and colleague uh, Susan Sarandon to come by, and she did, along with Sam Neill. And then it, it really bubbled, and so from that we got Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. We flew to New York uh, at during the climate summit and we brought it to the UN and we, the whole idea was to create this portrait series uh, to demonstrate that the world is in our hands, that all of us have our part to play in, uh, in curbing climate change. So that was a uh, one example of, uh, of the many philanthropic work that I like to continue to do mm-hmm. and, and, and still do. That's incredible. Is there, uh, is there a big lesson or a takeaway from all of this that you've sort of left with and, and, you hold on to that um life is very precious uh and unfortunately none of us are born equal i think that's the the stark realization of of the opportunities i've had uh working abroad in so many different countries and cities from lesser developed nations to to first world countries that uh people are raised and brought up in various circumstances that are beyond their control Uh, Some are born in rural communities that still deal with starvation. Others have lack of education, lack of access to education or or medical care. And it's unfair to judge people based upon uh, on their background. And I think the biggest lesson for me is to always, every time I meet someone, try to learn their story, understand their point of view, and not just judge them immediately. And I think when we can do that, uh, we can not only bridge and create uh, a stronger stronger bond amongst ourselves as humans, but also 
find solutions to some of the common problems that we face. And I think, uh, unfortunately, social media often has a shiny veneer that everyone lives a perfect life. Um, and I think during COVID, we've now kind of cracked that open a bit. Uh, we realize that mental health is a very, very big issue. And to does not judge people based upon what they see on social media as their life. So I think the biggest lesson that I, I took away was simply to to never judge people based upon what you see and how they act, but uh, by the story they share. And in doing so, I think it will lead to a much more empathetic, sympathetic, uh, and and wholesome world. It's interesting, right? Yeah, man. Mm. Absolutely. So you you've done all this. You're an award-winning director. You're a fantastic photographer. You. The, it seems like every time I I hear something about Justin Wu, you're you're at some conference, you're accepting some award and everything. All this is validation, but a part of you, I presume, and correct me if I'm wrong, still has to to keep yourself grounded, because the work you do, it's almost like from a lot of the artists and creators I've talked to, they almost have to shield themselves from the outside noise. How do you do that? Um, I try not to actually, I think, okay. I think a big healthy part of knowing your place in society is to be able to listen constantly listen to your friends, listen to your family, uh, speak to people who talk to you. And I find that a lot of these conferences I go to, they're not, some are very glamorous and, you know, have all the whole red carpet business, but others are very grounded and, and, uh, speak to local communities. And I think I, I, I still do that myself. I do a lot of these local meetups, uh, local mentorship. And to me, it's really important to to speak to people uh, eye to eye from all facets of the world, anywhere around the world, across all ages and demographics, so that I'm able to fully engage and understand uh, where everyone's coming from. And I think that's part of the, the reminder of this whole lesson is this whole journey I've, I've, I've had so far is to keep it, have an open ear, listen and engage with everyone that you can all around because there are so many valuable stories to to absorb and so many different lessons to to take in and uh i think the world is such a beautiful place where we have all unique stories and yet at the same time so many universal struggles so uh what would you consider a universal struggle i mean one that i mean there there are so many but uh one that I can certainly speak to, uh, I think we can all relate to during the pandemic is uh, feeling of loneliness, feeling of disconnection, um, uh, isolation, and perhaps even the grief. Uh, we many people may have lost an individual or known someone who's lost an individual during COVID, and or or simply uh, mental health. I think recognizing our place in society. We've never, I wouldn't say we've never. Uh, I think the current my generation, at least, I don't think we've felt and experienced anything like that since 9-11. And for us, where we all had to pause, take a moment to really think about our place in society and, and question uh, what really makes us happy. I think that that was the one, I believe, necessary. I mean, it was really unfortunate, of course. It's not, I would never wish this upon the world. But if we were to take one thing away is that... Um, it was one moment in time where we had the one opportunity to to look at ourselves and, and determine where do we want to be 
in society? What, what, what really matters after all? And yeah, I think that's sort of, that's sort of my takeaway. And uh, th- again, these are just a very, very few sure, yeah. uh, 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 isolated uh, feelings that we all share universally. Well, it's really forced the the conversation around mental health and loneliness. We were talking about how mental health has taken center stage to a lot of things, and it's really forced men in particular to start having those conversations and really pull back that curtain and accept, firstly, that men suffer from mental health. And for a long time, whether it was because of cultural stigmas or just societal stigmas where men typically just never wanted to talk about it. And now more and more men are opening up. Like you were telling me about how, um, was it your friend or your coworker who just came up to you and just started, you know, telling you that this is what I'm going through. This is who I am. And there's more and more men that are starting to have those conversations, which is super encouraging. So that is definitely a universal struggle. Yeah, definitely. It's harder for us all. I think, the same thing you're saying with COVID, it's really allowed people to look into themselves, right? You really see, okay, where do I stand? Because especially when there's nothing, all the distractions were gone, right? So it's really, okay, like I'm here. And you really get to look at who you are and what, what you've contributed and how you feel you are in place in your life. And I feel like after, not after, because I guess COVID's still going, that it really, a lot of people shifted, right? And shifted into a more happiness focus mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, financial focus or anything. It's okay. I, I got to do whatever I can to be happy because when I was left alone in this space in COVID, I was losing my mind. Now that we're allowed to go outside, okay, I need to just focus on anything that's going to be happy, whether it be with people or changing your jobs or changing your relationship or fixing it or working on it or leaving it or staying, that it's really helped us all focus. So that is definitely a um, universal struggle for sure. Your, the work that you're doing now how much of your personal what's the word i'm looking for here so your preference not really the right word but your inclination to include or to to cover works or things that on subject on subject sorry that matter to you how much of that determines what work you decide to do and not do a lot of it does i think um i have to admit i think the the success that I've had thus far again is a privilege that I can now pick and choose the projects I want to work on and for instance even during the pandemic I supported local brands uh, local companies uh, indigenous companies who all suffered uh, in various different ways but I chose and made the active choice to support ones I firmly believed in based upon interviewing them and looking at their ethos and Moving forward, I think it's uh, it's something that's really important to me, especially uh, in the artistic world, is that um, besides some of the vapid nature that you find on social media, within film and television, there needs to be uh, a certain sense of purity to the message that you, that you, you, you deliver and a certain authenticity. Uh, one kind of interesting anecdote, I think, whenever I share this with uh, with my colleagues and friends and family who just don't know what a director actually does is that part of directing is to be able to empathize, sympathize, and understand the motivation behind all the characters and what they're dealing with, right? 
in every scene, whether it's comedy or drama, horror or action, everyone's dealing with some kind of struggle. Oftentimes, that's the case, right? And there's always a conflict that's going on, whether it's an internal conflict or a conflict with someone else. That's what makes it kind of interesting. That's also entertaining to watch. But at the root of it, it has to be authentic. And if there are, if there's a script that comes in that I cannot relate to whatsoever or can't find the humanity of myself in it, I know I would be a very poor director because I would not know how to direct that. And I think part of, again, being in this position now is that I get to really pick and choose uh, what's meaningful to me and, and also be cognizant of whether I personally even add value uh, with my background and my voice. Now, fortunately, I think uh, I, I keep a very open mind. And one of my favorite directors actually still to this day inspires me. And it's because of his of his mentality, uh, the Taiwanese director, Ang Lee, Oscar-winning director. and Great the, director. Great director. I think he, if for those who don't know, he directed movies like Life of Pi, uh, Pride and Prejudice. And here's one that completely shocks me all the time is that he also did uh, not only Koshi Tiger and Dragon, which is, you know, very cultural, mm. but he did Brokeback Mountain. And oh, really? that, see, see, that's that to me is a shock to... And for those that are not in film and don't know his story, it's because he, and you can see this in many interviews, uh, I don't know what he said for verbatim, but he would always repeat the, the, the notion that in his career, if he's not challenged, if he doesn't feel fear, then he feels like he's stagnating as an artist. And when I saw that film, and I was so moved by it because I could relate to some of those themes, even for people that are not homosexual or don't have those tendencies you can still watch it and still feel those emotions because you just know the universal feeling of love so the and that's that's kind of brings back to a, an earlier part of our conversation is that although the situation is unique to them and not everyone will be able to relate to that specific feeling but everyone knows the kind of unrequited love right and he was able to capture that so authentically and i think when he what he did was he fully immersed himself into that culture. And although he himself is not gay, and how would he know what it's like to be uh, in that time period with gay cowboys, right? Like how, how, how would he have any notion of that? But yeah. he put himself in that world, found the humanity and was able to express it so, so authentically that it created a beautiful piece of art that to this day, I think uh, still holds and still helps a lot of people who have, identity issues and it doesn't really matter what culture you're from i think to be able to watch that film and see that i know what that's like and, and see the tragedy that kind of unfolded uh is, is super powerful so to your question again is uh I, I i now am motivated by by the the mission that he had set out for himself to feel fear to challenge himself and to take risks and learn i think that's part of why he's such a great director for me and why he's a legend is that he does take bold risks. He, he invests time to learn and be, and be a student of humanity. And that's certainly what of one of the aspects of, uh, of, of my parents that, that taught me. And my dad was very curious. Mom was very curious. And I think that curiosity has bled into, into, into a lot of my work and, and my personal ethos. So. And what is that personal ethos? If you had to put it into a sentence or a statement is that uh, the world is a very complex and ever-changing world. And 
to to know it fully is to just keep studying, be open-minded, learn about different cultures, and constantly read and research because I think at the end of the day, it makes me a stronger artist to be able to connect with as many people as possible. And, and, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for these stories, not only in terms of a career sense of trying to find the story I want to direct and share to the world, but to just gain a greater appreciation for how beautiful this world really is. Wow. That's a great ethos. Yeah. I could live by that. I think it keeps you humble. And it keep, I think it keeps you a student of humanity. I like that, that thought process because I think it helps you empathize with people that you don't may you may not necessarily agree with on a variety of topics, but it wouldn't matter because you can empathize by the fact that they're a human being with thoughts and feelings and a bad day and a good day and a family and a partner and all of these things that are mixed into this pot of what's standing in front of you. And you're just trying to have a conversation. And I think it allows, it, it breeds an open dialogue, which breaks down a ton of barriers and I think once uh, during COVID there was a lot of isolation a hundred percent. And then there was a lot of people being divided into to various spectrums for whatever reasons. But I think coming out of it now, I think people are relearning how to have conversations with each other mm-hmm. and relearning how to speak to each other and film photography the arts in general has been such a powerful medium in expressing all of that post pandemic during for sure but post especially it's re-engaging people's ability to converse with one another it's incredible to watch so kudos to you and the entire industry for doing the work that that you guys do it's incredible it's uh well thank you for that but uh i i I just think it's a it's well it's fun to do, but uh, but again, incredibly moving and meaningful, um, and I think that's where so many people often ask me, you know, uh, how does this compare to a lot of other colleagues that you grew up with? And now that I was able to kind of uh, return home and reconnect with a lot of my high school friends, who all have, let's say, a more classic path, um, I think we all have our place in society, and. Uh, I'm just so, so thankful, constant, so grateful that the industry, the, uh, the community has allowed me to continue to do the work that I do and, uh, and survive as a result doing this. And I think that's, uh, it's a really an opportunity and a privilege. I think, uh, I know many artists, especially, uh, students, uh, I teach, uh, from local colleges and universities who all want to pursue the same thing, you know, it's not it's not the easiest job. It's not it's not a job that often gets a lot of thanks, unfortunately. It's also a job that many people many people think is very fickle. It's just, oh, you're having fun, you're doing a glamorous photo shoot. Oh, what a what an amazing life you have. Like are you even working? <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, so there's there's a lot of fun. I'm really appreciating uh the opportunity that comes with it. But, but there's a lot of work. But there's a lot of work. And to do it well, I think to, to do it well, yes. uh, uh you do have to put a lot of investment into it. And and I'm proud of the work that that I've been able to 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 do and and I look forward to all the all the new stories I can uh Any new stories you can share? 
Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I will we'll make an announcement here. Uh, I'll see how much I can share. I, let me think. We got an exclusive, uh, everyone. <laughs> I will be directing my first feature film this spring. Nice. Wow, congratulations. congratulations it's, it's a studio feature film. Here? And, uh, no, it, it, it's going to be in Vancouver. Okay. I'm trying to be very careful. But what I can tell you is that it's taking me some time to, to find the right story. This is not a story that I wrote. It was, I've been pitched stories before by the studios and I receive scripts pretty regularly. And this is one that I immediately fixated on. I was, it was a page turner and I was just moved. It's a, it's a very universal story. Unfortunately, I can't share too much of it, sure. but it does follow a very successful book that has been uh, read by many, many millions of people. And I think that there's a universal truth to it that I can certainly relate to. Uh, there are certain personal experiences that I've had in the past. And although I can say that it's it's about the next generation, I think that speaks to, again, the both the unique stories of today and different cultures and backgrounds, but also some of the universal themes that uh, that we all deal with so i'm very excited for that uh, uh that should be that should begin production sometime around march and uh and hopefully you'll be out uh maybe in theaters should be in theaters uh by next uh, next winter wow nice well if you're ever looking for extras matthew and i will happily fly out to, to vancouver or dc <laughs> it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a great film i'm uh Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm very excited. Friend, yeah. Very, very excited. <laughs> it should be. That's incredible. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I, that's I, amazing. I, I jump for joy when. Uh, actually, I was actually walking around. Funny enough, I was just outside of Startwell mm -hmm. when I received the news. Oh, oh really? Nice. So I was. Uh, I was finishing a project. I was walking on the street, uh, heading home, and I got the call, just out of the blue. I, I got the call from the studio to say that um, if you're interested, uh, we'd like to offer you. Uh, the position of director for this nice. feature film wow, that's and incredible. it was a it was a beautiful moving day and i had to pinch myself and i didn't quite <laughs> believe it until like it took me until the day after when i actually received the formal email like oh yeah oh this is real all right um, how'd, you, how'd you celebrate uh good question i celebrated by just sharing with with friends and family who mm. really know my journey i think uh several really close friends of mine have really seen how long it's taken for me to be here. Did you and give out like a yeah? Like a oh, loud scream? Oh, there 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 was a loud scream. There was a <laughs> yes, loud scream, good, a lot man. of tears, but good, like good. uh and I'm pretty sure people thought I was like completely mad. That's the best. Oh yeah. That's the best. Um but you know, uh, I think people also saw what happened. I mean, they, they, could, they could probably guess it's like they knew something. It was great they news. They knew it was yeah. great news, right? And um <laughs> Some people steer clear, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I really made the phone call to my mom. That was the very first phone yes. call. Uh, and she was so proud. And she is so proud. And and, and hopefully, if uh, if there's a possibility, I'd love to bring her on set. And actually, uh, I'm also very... This is, a, this is a very personal anecdote. I get emotional just thinking about it. But it happened very recently. Uh, I directed a new series uh, for BBC... And for the first time in my mother's entire life, she was able to visit me on set yes. and I on, on, on a TV set. And so much, I think, of my life, of my work is 
shrouded in mystery. I think even to even to the average person, they really don't know what it's actually like on set. And the showrunner or the producers were, I had to say, I had to say thanks to them really for when I just you know asked them very kindly. I was like, you know, I know this is my last day on set, and you know, I think I think we're nearly wrapping up the episode. And would it be possible? Mm-hmm. And they have, they were. I was so moved that they said yes. Uh, they gave my mom the VIP treatment. Yes. They mm. they gave her a parking spot. They escorted her <laughs> the parking spot with <laughs> with a director's chair right next to mine. Nice. And yeah, I I I was it, it was a really full circle moment. And again, of course, I couldn't. It's unfortunate that my dad was unable to to be there. But I know that I, I I'm confident that he was shining from above and watching all this unfold. And so yeah, I'm very excited for that. And uh, and another radical pivot uh i can't say i can't announce the full details but i am excited to also share that i will be uh the creative director for a very big company in canada and um my motivation there is to help build community and i really want uh, to use again a lot of the skills that i have to uh, shepherd a new era for this company and to touch as many voices and people as possible. So, again, the details will come up very, very soon. But uh, all to say, this is more, more and more mounting evidence that I'm not leaving Canada. And even if I do, uh, this is home. And uh, I'm for I'm for Canada first. I'm really here to present as many different opportunities and also create opportunities for local Canadians. And, and and now that I'm in a position of a power and privilege, I'm going to use that power for good. And I'm going to shape um, uh, our, our, our country and culture the way, the, the, the way and the best that I can. And that to me is just to provide opportunities for individuals who just simply never had a possibility. Like, like seeing myself, if I, if I could, I would love to, you know, I'm even to this day, you know, seek out people who are passionate who did not, who simply are a disadvantage of maybe because of a physical disability, or it could be mental disability or financial disadvantage. Again, I don't judge people based upon their background, but we're not born equal. And so if I have the possibility of giving a chance to these individuals to contribute meaningfully and still, you know, still be based upon merit of good work, and uh, that's what, what I really want to do. And that's the this is the new chapter of my life, which is to, to to give back and uh, and again, really make us all rise. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I know you're saying how, like back in your day, <laughs> how you had to how though you'd have to leave Canada and mm-hmm. obviously you're doing a lot, opening a lot of doors, so you want to make it so people don't have to. But do you think right now? Do you still think you have to leave Canada, or is it still like to make it? Um fundamentally i don't think we actually have to because if there's one thing i've learned during the pandemic is that you know we've all we've all done it especially in all the days in lockdown we were scrolling on instagram or going on facebook or or even tiktok which of course blew up during the pandemic is that we are now more connected than ever although yes you know we all faced isolation and loneliness and you know the lack of human contact I was so motivated to see all these fun events being shared all around the world. You know, you can see videos from China. I can see videos from Africa. I can see 
people sharing their day-to-day life from all aspects all around the world across all different ages and i think that was such a beautiful moment for me to realize that the world has become so much so much smaller and to your question is that because the world has become so much smaller through the use of these apps i think that uh artists again it really depends on the job but artists no longer need necessarily to leave the country to be able to succeed because their their work can be announced to the world and so long you can find an audience as an artist that's all you really need now that said being being mindful of context there are, are also examples where you do need to go so for instance if you are a musician and certainly spotify and apple music and all these different streaming platforms can can push your work out there to the world and you can still succeed and monetize. Uh, if you ever do want to perform to the biggest audience you can, you have to go to the biggest market. And that may mean going to Europe, going to the States, going to Asia, wherever. Um, so I think the reality is that to be discovered, to succeed, you no longer necessarily need to live uh, outside and, and, and go to the big cities. I think we are a big city. And... I am more motivated than ever to help Toronto, help Ontario, help Canada become this new center for creativity, this new focal point that can stand alongside a lot of our American counterparts, like the Chicago's, the New York's, the LA's, the, the Paris and London's. I think Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, we we can uh, stand proud and and create our own identity that can be, be stand, standing proud alongside them, not smaller than that, than, than they are. Mm. I love that. Toronto proud. Toronto <laughs> proud. proud. No, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, it's, it's people like, um, it takes a lot of momentum. And I think as we all know, as Canadians, you know, Drake really put Toronto on the map. And that is just an example of how we need to do it. We cannot rely solely on one individual. It really requires repetition it really requires uh uh people to to also desire it and i think that's what i've been trying to inspire the next generation is to stop this mentality that we need to to bleed our talent to the states or bleed our talent to europe when we can foster and create a community where we can stand on our own two feet and create value and be able to uh, to contribute to the, to the global landscape as well as to Canada. And I think that really starts with people believing that Canada has a lot to offer and believing that amongst ourselves, we have so much to offer. So it's going to take a lot. It's going to take us some time. And certainly it's going to be decades of work, I think. But uh, thanks to people like yourselves who are spotlighting people like me who have you know, lived that life and that experience, I'm happily able to share that I think uh, moving forward, we can we can all together continue to foster uh, a better community. I love that, Mr. Wu. It's it's almost been an hour. Lies, lies. Yeah, it's good. This was incredible. Thank you for for sharing your journey. No, thank you so much for for inviting me to be part of this. I, uh, it's an honor, um, and any opportunity for us to know share our truths mm-hmm. in the, in the public forum i uh i relish it i i i i am humbled by it and i think uh 
I, I really admire the work that you do and I you know, wish you all the best. And, uh, and to all the audience members out there, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a privilege. Thank, thank you. you. We appreciate you coming by. We're excited to, to watch this journey that you're on. It's an incredible journey. And what makes it all the more special is that you're a gem of a human. So it's great to watch it. And we're here to support you every way we can. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, thank everybody. You. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.